Hello, ghouls and goblins, she-devils, mammoths, zodiac killers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, are there multiple? (laughs) I mean, Ted Cruz? And... Ted Cruz's eviler twin brother? Ted Cruz? Fred Cruz? (laughs) If you're Ted Cruz or Fred Cruz, thanks for tuning in. Drop dead Fred Cruz. Um, (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of Fairy Tall Tales. You know where you are. You know who we are. We don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah, why? What the heck? This who is are creepy, you? man. Are you who's... You know so much about us and we don't even know who you are. Knock knock. Who's who's there? Uh interrupting Cal? Moo? Moo! <laughs> <laughs> I tried, it didn't work. <laughs> um so today is a special episode for us. It is our anniversary episode. We are now officially one year old. We're an infant. We still wear diapers. (laughs) We suck our thumbs. But we're starting to get our own personalities. (laughs) Thank God, finally, it's about time. So uh, thank you so much for sticking with us for a year full of uh, fairy tales and true crime stories. Can you believe we've had enough episodes for it to be a year? I mean, like, really, man, it's been a year. I can't believe it. And technically we took a break, but you know what? Mental health is important. (laughs) It is, and we acknowledge that, even if your current employer does not. Amen. (laughs) Um, so we thought, like we were doing different creature features for this, uh, this season, this uh, October. Tis the season of Halloween and our birthdays and the podiversary. Yes, tis the season to be spooky. Fa la 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 <laughs> I thought it should end with boo. I, you made the better choice. Um, <laughs> what did you say, a llama? I said llama. Oh, well, um, that's spooky too, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they spit. It's very scary. Yeah, they spit. So we decided that um, Megan and I were going to approach this episode a little bit differently, too. We don't know uh, what either of us is going to talk about. (laughs) Um, I feel like you should have done that because mine wasn't that good. Wait, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite. I wish you could all see the the joy on my face when I get to hear Sarah cackle. (laughs) I'm glad that none of you can see what my face looks like when I have to do that. It's the best. Um, so, uh, basically, the theme of this episode is spooky. Yeah, like ghosty campfire tales. Yeah, I don't know. That's what came to mind when I was writing mine. Anyways, was I was like, this would be a really good like campfire tale. I would totally be spooked if I were in the woods. So gather, gather up your friends, gather up your marshmallows, start a fire. Unless if you're in California, uh, if you're in a drought area, please don't set fire. Outside. No, please don't do that. Only you can prevent forest fires and homicide. It's true. Don't kill people and don't set fires outside if you're in a drought zone. (laughs) Yes, both of those things, exactly. Those are the tenets of this podcast. Pretty easy to abide by. So, I guess I will kick things off. I'm ready to be spooked. Um, Spook me! 
I chose this story and y'all might not be as spooked by it as I was just because um, this one kind of hits close to home. Close to home as in like your house or like as in like your spiritual feelings and... Uh, (laughs) This one takes place in our neck of the woods. Ooh, spooky, yes! That's why I wanted to do this so today, I'm going to tell you the story of the Smurl haunting in West Pittston, Pennsylvania. Oh my gosh, that's so close to us. So close. There's a haunting in West Pittston? There was. And what's a Smurl? Their last name. <laughs> it's a family. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean. What's a Smurl? <laughs> it's kind of like a Smurf, but they're white. <laughs> <laughs> a Smurl. Oh, man. Man. Let's kick things off with a little geography. (laughs) My favorite. (laughs) It's not really that much geography. I just didn't know what else to call it. Background info. There we go. West Pittston, Pennsylvania is a borough in the greater Pittston area of Luzerne County. Am I watching WNEP? (laughs) It sits upon the Susquehanna River, which is the longest river on the East Coast that drains into the Atlantic Ocean via the Chesapeake Bay, in case you wanted to know. I did want to know. Save the Chesapeake. Yes. Uh, For fans of The Office, West Pittston is about 10 miles southwest of Scranton. Do-do-do, do-do-do. That's supposed to be the office theme song, but it doesn't sound like it. No, not not really. Do-do, <laughs> do-do-do-do. There you go. That's a little bit better. <laughs> In this episode, you also get to hear us sing again. Shocker. Shock, shock. Static shock. <laughs> so the town was first settled by white people in the 1770s. It gained national attention in 2011 when catastrophic flooding caused by the remnants of Tropical Storm Lee left much of West Pittston underwater. But that's not the only national attention this approximately one square mile borough received in its long history. It's pretty funny to think about. (laughs) From 1974 to 1989, Alleged ghost hauntings took place in the home of Jack and Janet Smurl at 332 Chase Street in West Pittston, Pennsylvania. Ooh, spook me. This haunting put both the town and the family on the map for the severity of the possession and for the attention it drew from some rather notorious individuals. Ooh. For family, friends, and neighbors, the Smurls were hard-working, God-fearing, church-going, honest people. They were all American, as we so often like to say. On the surface, nothing set them apart from anyone else in West Pittston. Least of all, their modest half-double home. But that all changed in 1986, when all across the nation, people heard of the Smurls. The Smurls. For everyone outside of the Smurl family, the story starts on Monday, August 18th, when the Associated Press reported of a haunting and strange goings-on at a home not far from Scranton, PA. Ooh, spooky. The day prior, a notice had appeared in a local paper, the Sunday Independent, mentioning a local family, the Smurls, were seeking help because their home was haunted by demons. By demons? Demons. Jeez Louise, man. 
Not just ghosts, freaking demons. This is a demonic possession. Oh my god, so scary. Demonic possessions freak me out more than anything else, man. Jack Smurl was a production manager for the Topps Chewing Gum Company in Duryea. <laughs> His wife, Janet, was active in the church. The couple had four children together. Don, 17, Heather, 14, and eight-year-old twins, Karen and Shannon. Jack's elderly parents lived next door on the other side of the duplex. Yeah, normal, right? You yeah. know, just your average all-American Pennsylvanian family? Well, Pretty much. Well, that's where all normalcy ends in oh, this no. story. Oh, no. Somebody give me a blankie. <laughs> this was not your average house haunting. We weren't dealing with a pesky poltergeist who hides car keys and closes doors. We're talking about a possession of epic and demonic proportions. Mm -hmm. A possession that affected the mind, the body, and maybe even the spirit. Ah. When the family walked through their home, they were assaulted by the foul smell of rotting meat. Ew! Echoing sounds of beastly hoofbeats. Ear-splitting screams and howls. So it basically sounded like they were walking through a haunted house. I, it was as though they were living in their very own haunted oh house. Oh my god! <laughs> that was the next slide I had. <laughs> That's exactly what it sounds like to me. But with this haunted house, there was no end or light in sight. Oh no! But the demons did more than that. They didn't limit their actions to just a few of the senses. No, they would stalk the members of the family, strange dark shapes that lurked around every corner and followed with a silent stride. The family was never truly alone in that house. Uh, please don't leave me alone when please don't leave me alone here. You're not allowed to leave now until he gets home. <laughs> the demons would turn the air icy cold no matter the season. They would slap the smurls, creating bone-chilling sensations regardless if they could be seen. These demons were active and had been for years. And even if they paused for a while, the haunting never truly stopped. The house was subject to the sounds of pig grunts, the smell of smoke and decay, doors opening and closing on their own, lights turning on and off. It was terrible for their electric bill. <laughs> Except in the summer when the ghosts made it cold. <laughs> I guess. No need Free for air AC. conditioning. It was even reported that ghostly glows traveled between the family and the television set. They're here. No, 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 no. Make them go. <laughs> but still, that was not all. Even the family dog, a 75-pound German shepherd, had been slammed against the wall while Jack stood by, utterly helpless. What? So something threw the German shepherd against the wall Mm -hmm. and held somebody else from moving to, like, do anything? Can't do shit. Oh, my God. Scary. As mentioned, the Smurls were a religious family and kept holy relics like rosary beads around the home. But not even these weapons of faith stood a chance against the demons in the household. If anything, it enraged them, emboldened them. 
When Jack would attempt to protect himself and his family by saying the rosary, the demons dragged him across the house and attempted to beat him into submission. Oh my god! That is so scary, man! Yeah. The physical toll these demons had on the Smurls was painful and exhausting, especially for the head of the household, Jack. He also reported that the demons had raped him, a truly frightening and unusual claim even for house hauntings. What? How does that happen? demons are into sodomy, I guess. How does that happen? How does that work? How does... I don't understand. You're asking the wrong demon, Megan. Oh, okay. (laughs) Day after day, month after month, the torment dragged on, yet the family remained silent. They were subjected to the demonic terror for 18 months before, in their final act of desperation, they reached out to the public through the local newspaper. Saying, SOS, we have a poltergeist. (laughs) Save our souls. (laughs) Save our souls. It's the demonic SOS. That's funny. (laughs) But as I said, the story didn't stay local. It made national coverage and wire service stories appeared in major dailies from New York to California and Florida to Alaska. The media turned the once quiet West Pittston Street into a frenzied circus. CNN was there. Reporters from Philadelphia were there. Camera crews from Germany were there. Masses of people crowded the street to the point where food vendors would set up shop nearby to sell pizza and hoagies at the end of Chase Street. Very NEPA. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy, though. The attention didn't just bring crowds of anonymous faces, either. The late Jason Miller even visited... Uh, For those who aren't mega fans of classic horror movies, uh, Miller was a famed playwright and actor originally from Scranton, um, and he's perhaps best known for uh, playing the role of Reverend Damien Karras in The Exorcist. You know, the film about demonic possession. Oh my gosh, crazy. Of course, he'd come back to, you know, basically home to for a demonic possession. Right? That's nuts, man. The other well-known individuals to visit Chase Street were Ed and Lorraine Warren from Connecticut, the founders of the New England Society of Psychic Research. Ooh, they're a big deal, too. Mm-hmm. Demonologists, and I think she was like a medium. Uh-huh. One of their most well-known cases was a reported haunting at 112 Ocean Avenue, a large Dutch colonial house in Amityville, New York. The Amityville Horror, along with the Perrin House in Rhode Island, uh, which was the inspiration for The Conjuring, are two of the most famous cases the couple investigated. The Smurl House is ranked among the top three. Holy crap, man! I didn't know there was somewhere so freaking spooky here! Mm-hmm. Man! What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I wanted to pick this one. It's so great! I'm learning so many things. When the Warrens investigated the home, they found several demons haunting it. Four benevolent and one violent. Ugh. Ed Warren's description of what happened in the home the first time he entered was wildly reported. Within seconds, the room turned icy cold, he said. There was a foul stench. I would describe it as rotting flesh. 
objects on the burrow started to move and then in front of the bureau gossamer threads a mucus-like smoky type substance whirled and materialized in the mirror spelling out filthy obscenities telling me in no uncertain terms to get out of the house whoa oh my gosh Ooh, i am shivering <laughs> like i have goosebumps from that that is so spooky the presence of the Warrens added some legitimacy to the Smurls' claims. For others, however, it just added to the circus-like atmosphere of the situation. Many locals treated the hauntings as a joke. Some believed that it was all just an act to get a movie made, which in fact did happen. In 1991, a made-for-TV movie called The Haunted was made based on the book titled The Haunted, One Family's Nightmare, co-written by then-Scranton reporter Robert Curran, The Smurls, and The Warrens. Oh my gosh! I'm gonna have to read that. (laughs) Despite the skeptics, many of the local neighbors sympathized with The Smurls and believed them. The Smurls' next-door neighbors, The Watsons, had some experiences of their own. Phyllis Watson described hearing piercing and ragged screaming coming from the house when the Smurls were out of town. Her daughter, Debbie, 21, whose second floor bedroom was only 15 feet away from the Smurls' upper floor, heard scratching at her window and experienced her room turning ice cold. Her brother Paul even heard the strange tapping when he visited the Smurls' house one evening. Even husband and father, Bill Watson, experienced some odd sounds coming from inside the home, like some gigantic bird trapped in the house and trying desperately to get out. Oh my gosh. The Smurls say the attacks began on the night following their eldest daughter's confirmation. In October 1986, the Smurls said it was over. The family did move from West Pittston to Wilkesbury, and the family who moved in next never reported any demonic or paranormal activity. Are you serious? So it just stopped when they left? Just stopped, And apparently. it didn't follow them? Well, I guess it stopped before they left because uh, they moved to Wilkesbury because the twins went to Wilkes University. That's my so alma mater. crazy. Played basketball there. Oh my gosh, that's nuts. I had no idea yeah. there was such a, like, oh, that is, that kind of stuff is what really freaks me out. We talked about this when we were mm-hmm. talking about, like, what ghosty stuff freaks us out the most. Stuff like this, like, demonic stuff. Oh my gosh, especially because, like, I was raised religious. I can't, I, that's the one thing that, like, my grandparents would be like, oh, you don't, like, we don't, you don't talk about that. Like, you don't mess with that. You mm-hmm. don't, like, Ouija board, don't touch them. Don't mess with that stuff. Because I think even, like, people who are religious, like, you, even more so if you're religious, you know that there's evil, yeah. you know, evil stuff a- afoot or whatever you want to say. I mean, oh my gosh, that's just so creepy to me and so crazy. Right? Oh, yes, I had no idea. Now <laughs> I wanted, like, I want to, like, watch this movie and read this book. I know, this, ha- I was actually really surprised because I don't think I would have really ever and it's it's actually funny because I didn't even realize that um uh the podcast and that's why we drink yeah they cover this topic did they really I think it's episode five (laughs) really early on yeah geez that's Um, probably how I missed it but like I don't think I would have like I had heard of this before but I forgot about it my sister-in-law reminded me of it when I was trying to figure out what to do 
And but I don't think that I would have paid much attention to it had it not been literally geographically so close to home. But like people really do consider this one of like the most famous, like one of the more famous um, hauntings in America, wow. especially those investigated by the Warrens. And to this, I mean, to this day, I mean, the Smurls still like claim that it was you know real whereas like you know the amityville case has been kind of like debunked Debunked, a little bit but that is so i just can't get over how crazy this is wow so that's my story oh my gosh it was so good i really loved it (laughs) i hope that maybe i and i had never heard of it so it was really fun for me to hear you tell it so i hope the same as same goes for my story but i don't really know I, uh, I really wanted to scare the pants off of you, but... I can't wait to leave here pantsless. <laughs> I don't think you're going to. Uh, the only thing I think I've really done is make myself absolutely terrified to <laughs> do something that I love. So, um, we're going to talk about the Bennington Triangle. I don't know if you've Ooh, heard of no. the Bennington Triangle. Um, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's get into it. The Misty Green Mountains in Vermont are home to some of the best hiking and backpacking in New England. I should know. Some of the trails are on my bucket list. Looking at you, Long Trail. Well, uh, I was anyways until I did research on this subject. Now I think I will never step foot on the Long Trail. Uh, This portion anyways. (laughs) I used to worry about bears in the woods, but I think now I'm going to be a little bit more wary as it's, this is apparently a pretty commonly known tale, whatever story, whatever you want to call it in this area of Vermont, but it happens that a lot of people who are really into like researching the trail, they'll they'll do all this research because the long trail is like 240 miles almost. That's long. It's, it is long. It has earned its name. It goes all the way to Canada. Um, and people will spend like hours and hours and weeks researching this trail that they're going to backpack because it's a through hike. Mm-hmm. So you just stay on the trail for the whole time. Um, and they'll plan everything down to where they're going to refill their water bottles, to where they're going to sleep at night, and where they might be able to exit the trail and go to town. But what people don't ever really end up finding out about until after they've hiked the trail is this spooky place kind of known as the Bennington Triangle. So, this particular area of absolute serene beauty in the Green Mountains of southern Vermont is known by another name to some, Joseph Citro, an author, radio show host, and bard of the bazaar, <laughs> nicknamed this strange area full of unexplained phenomena, the Bennington Triangle. The Bennington Triangle is a 200 square foot section of forest with Glastonbury Mountain as the center, and it spans to about four towns outside of that, including the ghost towns of Glastonbury and Somerset, Vermont. Mm. So, people have been spooked by this area known as the Bennington Triangle, for a really, really long time. All the way back to when Native Americans lived in the area, they were absolutely petrified of Glastonbury Mountain, the mountain in particular. Okay. Um, they believed it to be cursed, oh, and shit. they would only go on this mountain to bury their dead. So, like, this was a big, big deal. So it's deal. like dead mountain. Yeah, basically. Um, they believed that this was where the four winds converged, and that because of that, it's some it was like some weird black hole portal to another place. Yeah, it was, you know, just wildly known as, like, do not go there, it is cursed, bad things happen, people disappear. Um, they actually talk about one of the weird things, among the many weird things that happen in this section of forest. They talk about a stone that will eat men. 
<laughs> so be Damn. careful. Be careful where you're walking in the cairns on top of the mountain because if you happen to step on this one enchanted stone, it'll just swallow you whole and you'll never be seen again. Now, does it only eat men or? All people. Damn. But they call it a, yeah, it would be pretty nice if it only ate men. I would send a lot of people on a long walk on the long trail <laughs> up to this mountain. <laughs> Uh, so that's not the only bizarre or weird thing happening in this area known as the Bennington Triangle. There's also a lot of disappearances that have gone on, um, UFO sightings, wild men, shadow people, floating orbs, and even Bigfoot-like creatures are aplenty. You'll hmm. hear stories of all of those things, which is kind of weird that Damn. all of them happen in one spot. But yeah. So even though the Native Americans were really afraid of this area known as the Bennington Triangle, it wasn't until the 1940s when there were actual documented cases that started to draw attention to this part of Vermont. Okay. Between the years of 1945 and 1950, five people disappeared from the area nicknamed the Bennington Triangle. And they're not really just like a run-of-the-mill disappearance either. They're pretty kind of odd, like very strange. Mm. So Tell me more. So the first uh, more documented and covered case of a disappearance happened November 12th, 1945, when 74-year-old Mitty Rivers and four of his friends were out hunting in an area of the forest. Rivers knew really well because he hunted and fished there all the time. This section of the forest was near the Long Trail, which is a very heavily trafficked and really well-known trail in the Bennington Triangle section of the forest there. Formerly on my bucket list. <laughs> As Rivers was leading the group that was hunting with him back to their campsite, he was walking maybe 100 yards ahead of them, you know, so they could kind of see where he was. Mostly until they couldn't. <laughs> I mean, it's basically as simple as that. He was right in front of them and then he wasn't. Like, like he just disappeared or he, he walked just, too far ahead? He literally just disappeared. Like never to be seen again. Ever. Never. They never found his they never found body or No, bones. there was no remains, not a blessed trace of this man. And why why would that happen? It's not like he he got lost. He hunted and fished here all the time. You know, he knew the area really well. The only thing that they found, the only trace of Mitty Rivers, was they found a cartridge from his uh, rifle. They found his rifle cartridge had fallen in a stream. So they think maybe he, like, stopped to take a drink of water in the stream and his rifle cartridge fell out. But they searched the area for, like, three days following his disappearance and there was just no trace of him. Damn. And when I say he knew the area well, like, he was hired to be the, like, he was meant to be these men's guide. Right. Like, he was guiding them. He should not be the one to get lost. So. Yeah. Very strange. One year later, on December 1st, 1946, 18-year-old Paula Jean Welding goes for a day hike on the Long Trail and is never seen again. Shocker. Right? <laughs> Witnesses say Paula was planning on spending the day hiking the long trail. She asked friends from school, um, all of whom were busy, to come along. And a Bennington Banner employee, Ernest Whitman, remembers her asking him for directions shortly before she hopped on the trail. So she people was, knew. She was by herself, though? She was by herself. Okay. People knew she was going to go hiking, though. And she was, you know, just planning on going out and getting some fresh air after she had finished her finals. Um, she, if you left... Bennington College for like any to go off campus you had to like check out of your dorm oh okay and so she checked out with the college and never checked back in 
Um, an elderly couple remembers hiking behind her on the long trail. They remember seeing her in her lightweight red jacket. Um, a couple other hikers remember seeing her and mentioning specifically to her that she wasn't dressed appropriately to be hiking because they were expecting like a snowstorm and she told them like oh it's okay I'm going back soon that kind of thing so the elderly couple that had been hiking just like 200 yards or so behind her saw her take a turn and they never saw her again they were the last people to ever see her so she completely just disappeared also um this case was pretty well known because it forced Vermont to actually create their own police force, like a state police force, because there was no Vermont state police before oh, this wow. case. So the FBI actually got involved in her search and rescue kind of deal. Um, there was a large monetary reward for information leading to her whereabouts. And everybody finds it pretty odd because, you know, it was very clear that she had intentions to return. Right. You know, her original plan was to just go out with some friends and go for a walk. And she wasn't dressed to be gone for a long time. Um, she was on a well, again, a well-marked trail. Clearly there were other people on it. They all mentioned seeing her. Just disappears. Huh. Completely gone. Now, what year was this again? This was in 1946. Oh, wow. So... Left college, went for a walk on the trail, never to be seen again. I was going to say, I guess that explains it because I don't think you'd find too, too many people like women, like young college age women hiking alone in yeah. like 2019. Yeah. Nope. 1946. Um, and again, like you have to think of the long trail as like, like think of your local park and a really well-marked trail. Mm-hmm. That is what the long trail is like. Yes, it's through like trees and woods and mountains and stuff, but it's it's a really well-traveled trail, so people don't just get lost on it very right. easily. Yes, you could, but not very easily. Also, she was wearing a bright red jacket. She should have been easy to see and find if she right. was somewhere. Even if, yeah, if she had fallen or exactly got off the path, somebody might have found her. Like Yep. Yep, but nobody ever did. Exactly three years later to the day, December 1st, 1949, another disappearance inside the Benningtion Trial. Stop going hiking on December 1st. (laughs) This one's not a hiking one, so... Stay away from the long trail on December 1st. Stay away from the Bennington Triangle, period. (laughs) Everything goes missing there. Um, Yeah, so three years later, December 1st, 1949, another disappearance occurs. James E. Tedford, a war veteran who lived in Bennington, boarded a bus in St. Albans with 14 other passengers but Tedford wouldn't make it to his destination. Although other passengers report seeing him sleeping in his seat at the next to last stop, and they don't remember him ever getting off the bus at all, um, when the bus reached Bennington, all that was left of him was an open book on his seat and all of his belongings, including his wallet and all his money. Like, he was gone, but everything that belonged to him was was still there. And all 14 people on the bus never remember seeing him exit the bus. And if, even if he did exit the bus, you don't freaking leave your wallet behind. No. you Even you, if you left other shit behind, you wouldn't leave your yeah, wallet. if he intended to go anywhere, he would have taken his things. So, yeah, they, they reached Bennington. He's not there. Nobody saw him leave, but where did he go? I, where's Waldo? Nobody knows. <laughs> the next disappearance occurred October of 1950 when Paul Jepson then eight years old, vanished with hardly a trace. This story is a bit confusing because um, Paul and his family lived somewhere near Glastonbury Mountain, 
but it's kind of fuzzy on the details of whether, like, so he and his mom went somewhere, whether they went to feed pigs, I don't know, or they went to take care of something at a dump because his mom worked at the dump, I don't know. It's kind of fuzzy on what's the, what what was going on here. His mom Either went way, to take a dump. His mom went to take a dump, and when she came back to the truck, little Paul Jepson wasn't there anymore, and she hadn't gone very far or for very long, so, and he was, you know, a well-behaved kid. He probably wouldn't have gotten out of the truck and gone anywhere himself, um, but... What's weird is the police were involved and dogs were involved, so they tried to trace Paul's scent, Mm -hmm. and they traced his scent all the way to a highway, and then it disappeared. So this could be, like, a case of kidnapping. That's, like, what I was thinking. Like, this one more than the others, because it's, like... There's a plausible explanation for this one. Paul, it's it's worth mentioning also that, like, um, like Paula, he was also wearing a red coat weirdly uh yeah whether there's a correlation there or not i don't know damn leave that up to you but yeah oh one other thing about paul his father had shortly after his disappearance shared that as of late paul had had a very strong desire to hike up glastonbury mountain like almost as if it was calling him to it like, he had expressed a very strong desire. Dude, so he could have also just gotten out of the truck and gone for a hike. He wanted to escape to Witch Mountain. <gasps> he did. I knew it. Oh, my he was gosh. He's his twin. <laughs> it's possible. You never know. <laughs> Only 16 days after Paul Jepson's disappearance, 53-year-old Frida Langer and her cousin Herbert Elsner were camping with some friends near Somerset Reservoir inside the Bennington Triangle when the two decided to go for a hike. Shortly after they left camp, Langer slipped and fell into a stream, completely drenched, so she decided to just walk the short distance back to camp and change really quick and then meet back up with her cousin. Elsner agreed, thinking it was broad daylight and that they were in no danger or in a hurry, so he just decided to wait for his cousin to come back after she changed. Well, after about an hour of waiting, he figured that was just way too long for it to have taken for her to go, you know, the short distance they Mm -hmm. had already walked back and forth. So he decided to go back to camp and see what was holding her up. But when he arrived, Langer wasn't there, and none of the other campers that were camping with them, including Langer's husband, had seen her. Oh. So she She never never even made made it it back. back to camp. So somewhere between where she fell and camp, she disappeared. Now, Langer it's worth mentioning, was a very, very skilled hiker, backpacker. She knew these mountains and these woods really well. It's not really that likely that she would have gotten lost. Well, yeah, especially with such a short, like a small distance. Yeah. So it's, you know, they definitely thought something was, something weird was going on here. So the FBI, once again, and the authorities got involved. There were searches with dogs, helicopters, planes, the whole nine for a whole two weeks, they, like, combed the woods with a fine-tooth comb. Not a trace of her anywhere. Shit. Until the following year, on May 12th in 1951, Langer's very, very decomposed body was found in full view in an open field next to the Somerset Re- Reservoir, which had been searched multiple times during the weeks that they were searching. How far was this from where... She this was what? in the in the vicinity of where she had been lost. Oh. 
This is the same, near the Somerset Reservoir. That's where they were camping. So even though they found Langer's body, it was far too past the point of decomposition where they could decide what had killed her. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, the only lead they have to go on is where they found her body, which is where they had already looked. But so like, I guess like, I mean, there's certain obviously, you know, injuries that you would be able to tell, like even on a skeleton, like say, oh, well, she, you know fell and you'd probably be able to tell if she like broke her neck right. or something like that but like there was nothing there was... that led them to any kind of um final say in what they thought may have caused her death and like also you said this was 51 they found yep. her body i mean they didn't obviously have like the technology like the forensic technologies that they have yet. i would love to see them reopen that case and figure that... out what's happened because this is like let's get all right i have no money you have no money Let's find somebody with money and we will make a TV show based on these mysteries. Oh, people would eat it up. People have been talking the the Bennington Triangle. That's what, um, we will call it, you know, uncovering the Bennington Triangle or we will call it something. Don't steal our idea. Copyright. (laughs) TM. SEO. (laughs) Throwback. Um, we'll sell it to like fucking like sci-fi or the travel channel you know it'll be great we'll do it they'll we'll air figure it, it after like uh oh does forget. that mean we have to go to the bennington triangle no we'll drone in okay perfect we'll hire other people <laughs> we'll hire forensic investigators i like it with our no money yes if you'd like to fund this investigation happy, send us your paypal happy birthday to us yay <laughs> Anyways, so many people have speculated that these disappearances are the work of a serial killer because they happened in such a condensed time frame of five years and they were all in the fall or winter um, and they were really all very concentrated in the same area. So it is likely that it's a serial killer. Maybe it's a cannibal who's living in the woods. Well... There's also something called the Bennington Monster, (laughs) which is like kind of like the Bennington Triangle's version of Bigfoot, which is Mm. a man who is like a wild man kind of monster hybrid thing uh, with large feet who squeezes people to death, apparently. So although I just doesn't know how to hug the right way, (laughs) basically. (laughs) So although I didn't cover it, there are also some other weird there's there's a murder that has happened in the Bennington Triangle. There are more disappearances that have a lot less details to them, stuff I couldn't really find too much info on, so I didn't really want to cover them mm-hmm. as much. But there are some really strange things that have happened in the Bennington Triangle. If this topic interests you, there's a great episode of Lore called The Red Coats you can wa- oh, um, listen fuck. to. I have listened to that. Yeah, so that's about the Bennington Triangle. You can listen to that. That talks about two hunters who disappeared and the man who was squeezed to death. He was also a hunter. So you can listen to that episode of Lore and they will, they cover some of the things that I haven't covered. But uh, although some people have speculated that it was a serial killer or maybe the Bennington monster, others point, point to the many reports of Columns of light shining down into the woods from odd aircraft as, as evidence of alien abductions. Aliens. And they be- <laughs> and they believe this is what's happening. They like people legitimately think like they have seen spacecraft with beams of light 
and they they suspect that that's what's happened to these people that they're being up into the spacecraft so maybe extraterrestrials i mean if we're like thinking about if we're like staying feet on the ground my first vote is cannibalistic serial killer it's likely there so there was there was a man who used to live in the town of glastonbury and he had murdered somebody he worked with was sent away to to a psychiatric hospital escaped and people suspected he was living in the forest around Glastonbury Mountain. So this is one of, and that's also tied to the Glastonbury, or the um, Bennington Monster. Mm. So like the tale of this wild man, he's considered the wild man. And there's also the Bennington Monster, but they're also like loosely linked. Okay. So that's like one kind of theory. The serial killer kind of deals another theory. Um, Aliens, that's another theory. Aliens. So, you know, I mean, honestly, people could, they could have just gotten lost, but the fact that it was five people of the span of five years, and the, the fact, same time of year. And only one body was ever found? It's very weird. Yeah, it's very, very weird. And the one body that was she found was found. in the found, middle of, like, everything. Yeah, in the middle of where she would be, would have been very easy to see. Nobody should have missed her. That's Especially what, if they had dogs, you said? Yeah, dogs, helicopters, planes, the whole nine. And they combed for weeks. Three weeks they combed the woods. They would have found something. Either they're super inept and they like literally just picked up random dogs off the street. Wouldn't be the first time. Which, yeah, I mean, I don't know anything. I mean, Vermont didn't have a state police force until, you know. The 1940s. (laughs) But, But yeah, so on a separate note, I didn't also get into the hauntedness of the towns that are included in the Bennington Triangle. I mostly focused on the things that were happening on the trail Mm -hmm. and, like, in the woods because that particularly spooked me, being an avid hiker and backpacker. But if you are familiar with the book and now Netflix series, The Haunting of Hill House, uh, the author, Shirley Jackson, she lived right outside of Bennington College in Bennington, Vermont. She raised peacocks. Yes, and her (laughs) husband was a professor at Bennington College. Um, There's a building at Bennington College called the Jennings Music Building. And if you read about the Jennings Music Building, this is the building that is supposedly uh, the inspiration for Hill House. Cool. It has a lot of the same, like, architectural things that she describes in the book, and it is absolutely freaking haunted. The students at Bennington College report the creepiest things. Music playing from pianos and upstairs ballrooms when nobody's in the building. Windows shutting themselves, opening themselves, doors opening and shutting. Shadowy footsteps they can see, like, in the doorway of their slightly ajar door. Just, like, creepy, your typical creepy, ghosty, haunted things. All of that's happened at the Jennings music building so if you're interested in reading some more things that have to potentially do with the bennington triangle and this haunted area of vermont you can read the haunting of hill house by shirley jackson Jackson. you can watch the haunting of hill house on netflix by shirley jackson again you can listen to the episode of lore called the redcoats and there are so many other great podcasts and shows that have covered the topics that I discussed in the Bennington Triangle and more because there is so much stuff to cover. 
I just wanted to touch on the things that I thought were particularly creepy, which is disappearances. For sure. I, I get creeped out by that kind of Especially stuff. Especially when there's, like, no explanation. I mean, yeah, you could say, like, people you can disappear speculate. all the time, but, like... Especially, like, 